Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more life. Well, that was probably the cutest discipleship connection I think we've ever had. Um, kids, y'all, K through second, you can go back with Miss Whitney to be a part of Kids Church. Um, before we get going, there's going to be a prayer up on the screen that we'll pray together. But before we do that, I just had a quick personal announcement for me that uh, tomorrow a letter uh, from me to y'all to the congregation will be posted on our website tomorrow morning. Um, and you can find that on our KUMC affiliation page and then scroll down until you see message from the pastors and you can click on my letter. Uh, so let's say this prayer together as we get started into the message. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace and your love in your goodness and yourself in your love and in all the face of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So we're in the middle of our sermon series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which you haven't, if you haven't bought the book yet, I would highly encourage you to get it and read it as we have been going through these practices of what does it mean to unhurry our lives and mimic our lives after the life of Christ and after the life of those that we see in Scripture. And today the practice that we're going to be looking at about how to unhurry our life is the practice of Sabbath. The practice of Sabbath. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Deuteronomy today, Deuteronomy chapter 5. But before we dive into Scripture, uh, the book talks about how we as humans have a restlessness problem, a restlessness problem. And John Mark, the author of the book, he dives into it and he thinks that our restlessness problem is fundamentally a, a desire problem that we desire everything, and the reality is, is we can't get everything. He quotes Thomas Aquinas, the famous uh, Christian scholar, the famous Christian monk, who is probably one of the smartest individuals in all of church history. And Thomas Aquinas asked the question, what would it take for us as humans to be fully satisfied? What would it take to fulfill the desire of our hearts? And he thought that the answer to that question was everything, that it would take everything for us to be fully sated with our desire. And that's a bit problematic because I don't know if you notice that we're all limited by being human. We can't experience it all. We can't travel the world. We're limited by financial resources. We're limited by time. And we're limited by the space that we occupy, that our desire seems limitless, and yet the reality of what it means to be human is that there's a finite period of time that we have on this earth. And John Mark says that when you have this infinite desire, yet the finite soul, what you get is this restlessness, this sense of always moving on to the next thing, always desiring more, never fully being satisfied with what you get in the moment. And he quotes from Dallas Willard, a person I mentioned at the beginning of this series. And Dallas Willard says this, Desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. 
We can only be satisfied by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. Or as uh, St. Augustine puts it, uh, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee. And so we're looking for these things to fill this restlessness, to fill this desire within our soul. And the, the culture that we live in, the age we live in, doesn't make that any easier. That we are constantly bombarded with advertisements about this is what you need, this is will make you happy, this will fulfill your desire. And we're just constantly bombarded to say that there is always more. And if you get this next thing, then maybe that desire can be satan can be uh, satiated. I think that's the word. Will be fulfilled. Sated, whatever. <laughs> and so as we look at the practices of Scripture and the practices of Jesus, the solution that the Lord offers to restlessness is Sabbath, to rest, to stop and dwell with God for a whole day. If you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 12. This is the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. Hear the word of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkeys or your any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The word Sabbath in the Hebrew is the word Shabbat, which literally means to stop, to cease to rest, to choose to escape the restlessness that we feel almost every single day and to choose to enter into the divine rest of God, to stop and be with the Lord, to stop and dwell in the Lord's creation, to stop from our work, from our labor, from our striving and simply rest. And the practice of Sabbath, I think, is one that we've lost in the church, particularly the American church. Even though it's right here in the pages of Scripture, I think we've overcorrected. Because when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus is often pushing back against what the Pharisees say he can and can't do on the Sabbath. But I think we've swung in the complete opposite direction to say we don't need to Sabbath at all. But what Jesus was pushing back against was this legalistic understanding of the Sabbath, because Jesus himself practiced Sabbath, practiced stopping, practiced entering the rest of God. A.J. Swoboda wrote this fantastic book called Subversive, Subversive Sabbath, if you want to do further reading on it. And he has this quote in his book, and he says this, the Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as a vital element of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. 
We just don't know how to sit with him anymore. Doesn't that kind of describe us? I mentioned at the beginning of the series that as we go through this, I'm preaching to myself in the middle of all this. That I'm a person who lives a hurried life. I'm a person who doesn't Sabbath well. I'm a person who just doesn't Sabbath. That I have taken this commandment, this practice of Sabbath, as more of a neat suggestion rather than part of the Ten Commandments. And I think if we thought of Sabbath as vital to our discipleship, how would that change how we integrate it and prioritize it into our lives? Jesus, when he pushes back against the Pharisees with their legalistic understanding of Sabbath, he says this in Mark 2.27. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And when Jesus was preaching to the people in that day, they needed to hear the second part of it. That man was not created for the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was made, intended to be a blessing for humanity. But we need to hear the first part of that. That God created Sabbath, not as a punishment, but as a great blessing for us. As a great joy for us, that God made Sabbath for humanity, that it was rest made for people who just work and work and work and can't ever seem to just stop and dwell in the presence of God. And the Lord says that Sabbath is a big deal. It's a big deal. And how do we know it's a big deal? Because God wove Sabbath into the very fabric of the created order. He wove it into the very fabric of creation. Going back to the Genesis story, Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. That when God creates, God rests after creation. That we model our seven-day work week based on the uh, rhythm we see here in Genesis. And the pattern of seven days is that there is a whole day created just for resting. There is a whole day set aside just for stopping. And what's interesting is that is the only day that the Lord says is holy. That the resting day is a holy day. Not only does God weave Sabbath into the very fabric of creation, he commands us to rest in the Ten Commandments which is sort of what we say is like, you know, we have those big fights about where the Ten Commandments should be placed. But it's one of those commandments that we read and we're like, all of these apply to us today. We're all on board with the Ten Commandments being in full effect. It's like, yeah, don't have any idols. Don't worship other gods. Honor thy father and mother. Preach. Love that one. Uh, Don't kill people. Don't envy. I mean, we're all on board with the Ten Commandments until we get to the one uh, that says... Keep the Sabbath. Don't work on the seventh day. Keep it holy. And suddenly the Ten Commandments become the Ten Suggestions for us. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment. But first, 
We would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Keep the Sabbath, as it says here in Deuteronomy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. What's interesting is when you look at the Ten Commandments, that the Sabbath day is the one that uh, the author both Deuteronomy and Exodus, uh, expound upon the most that about 30% of the Ten Commandments is just taken up describing the Sabbath and giving reasoning behind the Sabbath. And yet it seems to be the one that I would argue that we in the American church violate the most out of the Ten Commandments. And so why does God want us to Sabbath? We'll look at three reasons that Scripture tells us why God wants us to Sabbath. The first is because Sabbath is an expression of holiness. Sabbath is an expression of holiness. Looking at how uh, it says in the Exodus account, when the Ten Commandments are given, Exodus 20, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall, do, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Skipping down to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I remember last year I was rereading the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and I came across this idea in my scripture reading, especially in Genesis, the Sabbath is holy. That Sabbath is holiness, and it sort of unlocked uh, a real reason why we should pursue Sabbath is because it's partially pursuing holiness. That if we're to be a people of God who desire to become more like Jesus, to become more like God, to pursue sanctification, it's part of what it means to be a Methodist. We don't just say we're saved and that's it, but we believe as Methodists that we are saved and we can be saved to the uttermost and we will pursue after sanctification and holiness. That part of what it means to be holy means to Sabbath means to rest, it means to stop, that by keeping the Sabbath, we are practicing and cultivating holiness into our lives. It's a whole day set apart to be with the Lord and to enjoy his creation, or to put it another way, it's a whole day set apart to fully live. I want you to stop and think about how profound this is, that God commands us to rest. And that not only is resting a command from God, resting is a form of godliness. That resting and stopping is a form of holiness. That the Lord says, if you want to be like me, you get to rest for a whole day. What a freeing thought that is. That God himself, like a good parent for his children, models for us the behavior that he wants us to emulate. That God rested after he created everything. And if God rested after creating the universe, what makes us think we don't have to rest? Sabbath is an expression of holiness. Sabbath is also about rest and worship. 
Sabbath is about rest and worship, going back to Deuteronomy and what it says there. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor but on the seventh and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a stop to the Lord your God. It's a ceasing to Yahweh himself. And the book says that, that uh, John Mark Comer in his book, he talks about that the lens in which he views activities on the Sabbath is he asks himself, um, is this rest or is this worship? And he says, if it's not, he says, I'll just wait till tomorrow to do it. Because as he says, I'm not in a hurry anyways, so it can wait till tomorrow. That if we want to cultivate this unhurried life, if we want to live our life differently, if we want to escape from this hurry that seems to just pressure our lives and determine the way in which we live our lives, then what Scripture says is we have to live our lives differently by choosing to Sabbath and structuring our week differently, resting in the sense of not working. For example, what would it look like on your Sabbath day if you didn't do any household chores, if you didn't do any yard work, if you stopped from all the work that you do around the house and truly rested, because we have days off, but we often fill our days off with work, don't we? As Erica has this honeydew list for things for me to do, we fill our days off with work. And we never truly stop and cease from our working. What would it look like if we took our Sabbath and truly rested from all the work we have to do? Rested with friends and family. What would that look like for you? It'll look different for you than it will for me. Resting for me uh, looks like going fishing. Playing board games with my friends and family. Maybe having some fun baking thing that I do or cooking some really complex meal. What is the resting things that bring my soul joy in doing them? It's about resting and it's also about worshiping. The early church shifted the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So Sunday is the day that we will worship the Lord together. And worship is more than a Sunday morning service, but most of our uh, worship focuses in on Sunday morning. Worship is, but it's more than that. It's about a way of living and acknowledging all of your ways before God, as Scripture says. Acknowledging all your ways before God, as Scripture says. So what would it look like if our Sabbath, most of us, the easiest thing to do would be to have it be on Sunday. We come to church for worship in the morning, and then what would our afternoons look like if we truly stopped and Sabbath the rest of the day? One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, he would spend his Sabbath every Saturday in a nature hike with his wife, where they would just go and enjoy God's creation, and they would dwell with one another, and he would dwell with God, and he would spend that time with his family, and he would spend that time praying as they walked together, and he would spay the... Uh, spend that time praying with her as he spent that Sabbath day. Maybe it's reading scripture as a family, having a family devotional each evening, asking each other, how is your walk with Christ for your evening Sabbath meal, inviting the Lord into the dailiness of your life is an act of worship. 
When uh, the French Revolution happened in the 1800s, the book talks about this, or 1700s, um, they got rid of the seven-day work week and implemented instead a 10-day work week with one day off. And so you'd work nine days, have a day off. And they did that to disconnect uh, the calendar from Christianity. They called it the rational calendar. Um, And what they did is they thought productivity would increase if we implement this 10-day work week And instead, the exact opposite happened, that the economy crashed, suicide rates skyrocketed, and productivity went down. And John Montcomer, in his book, cites this example as what happens when we go against the grain and fabric of the universe. What happens when we go against God's design for us? Because God designed the rhythms of our bodies, the rhythms of our soul to work six, rest one, and have full, true rest and worship with the Lord. He also cited a study that found that after 50 hours of work, productivity plummets, which just so coincidentally happens to align with a six-day work week. And we go against the rhythm that God designed us to be when we don't Sabbath. Sabbath is about holiness. Sabbath is about rest and worship. And then finally, Sabbath is about resistance. Resistance or rebellion, if you want to put it that way. Exodus 5, or Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember, remember Israel, that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. It's this reminder that on the Sabbath you remember that you were slaves, but now you are not. Sabbath was a tangible reminder to the Israelites that you are not a slave to your work, that your identity and your purpose is not defined by the work of your labor, that everyone deserves a rest and worship because God himself commands it. That a Sabbath day is a day of rebellion against this culture that always pushes us to do more and more work. It is a holy witness to the world around us that pushes for more and more of our time and just seems to demand more and more of us. With the invention of cell phones, it seems like we're almost on call 24-7 Because you can get an email pop up on your phone at any time, can't you? What would it look like if we rebelled against the way that society was pushing us to live? And we said, I will choose to live the way that Scripture tells me to do. I will choose to be a holy rebel for the Lord and witness differently to the community around me. It's a resistance that says, I will devote an entire day of rest and worship to my God, regardless of what the culture says. What a witness, what an evangelical witness that would be to the world around us, to the culture around us that's dominated by busy lives, and say that our God frees us, commands us, blesses us to rest for a whole day and not feel guilty about it at all. To rest for a whole day is holy. To rest for a whole day is to imitate Jesus himself. So friends, what would it look like for you to Sabbath on Sundays? Let's just take Sundays to make it easier and to be in the rhythms of the early church. I think it includes coming to worship, but then it includes how do you live out the rest of your Sunday afternoon? 
How do you live out the rest of your Sunday afternoon? Maybe it's not doing any chores on Sunday. Uh, John Mark Comer, when he describes how he sabbats, he says he does things that bring him deep joy. He does things that bring him deep joy, and he does what he calls pleasure stacking. Let's just do all the things that bring my soul deep joy and do them all on the Sabbath. What would it look like, friends, if you had conversations with your kids about what a Sabbath would look like? What would bring them joy? What would bring joy with your friends? What if you had your friends get together every Sabbath and had a a family meal together? Maybe you did a family devotional together, had devotional with friends. What would it look like for you to stack things that bring you joy on Sunday afternoon and then Sundays became the day that you look forward to because you knew the Lord was going to be with you all the day on the Sabbath. When I first uh, read this back in the spring, I realized I don't really Sabbath. I just take days off. And the book makes a difference because on days off, we do a lot of chores, don't we? But we don't really stop and dwell with God and be with God. So I've been trying to incorporate more and more Sabbath habits in my life. One of the things that I did is I bought a kiddie pool. Um, And I have a picture of it up on the screen. I bought me a kiddie pool, $20 from H-E-B. And one of the things, and this is a, I was not posing for this. This is just Erica just thought it was funny and just took a picture of me. And so this is me from a thing about a month ago when I was on my Sabbath thing. And it's me just chilling in a pool. It was probably 100 degrees out that day. But man, I was loving it. I was doing some of my favorite things, being in the water. You know, growing up in Friendswood, I was 30 minutes from Galveston. So I'm a big beach boy. Um, And they don't have beaches up here. Uh, So this is my make-believe beach, is me sitting in the kiddie pool, eating a popsicle, uh, doing things that bring me joy. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast while I'm doing it. Sometimes I'll just sit and dwell with God and pray with, to him. Sometimes I'll just be in silence. But it's me learning to stop. Me learning to rest. Me learning to enter into the great blessing that God truly has for me. And friends, this is what the Sabbath is about. It's about a great blessing that the Lord desires to give you and your friends and your family. All we have to do is to stop and not work. I mean, what a joyful good news that is for us. Friends, I want you to live unhurried lives. I want you to live lives that are filled with joy, lives that are in line with the fabric of creation, because I believe that in order to do that, we need to be a people who Sabbath. We need to be people who stop and rest and dwell with God because the Lord has given us a whole day every week to be a blessing to us. Friends, I would challenge you, have this conversation with your family or your friends on the ride home today from church or this afternoon or this evening about how you can incorporate Sabbath into your lives. It can be big or small, but friends, start somewhere. Step into obedience. Step into holiness. Step into the great blessing that Jesus wants for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we continue our worship service, we remember that Jesus was with his friends. And we remember that he was gathered around the table and he took bread 
And he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father, said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by your blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until we feast in your Sabbath rest, Heavenly Father. Lord, pour your Spirit out on us and push us into deeper holiness. Push us into unhurried lives. And show us the great blessing that Sabbath is for us. As we say the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.